Good morning. Let me say also, I think was said earlier, Happy New Year 2023. Hope you're enjoying the beginning of this new year, our first Sunday together in this room anyway. Hope you had a great holiday. We, uh, that video introduced today's series, but let me give you some context. Those of you who might remember, we're here back all the way in September. I started a series that covers us to, to study the whole book of for the letter, the first letter in, uh, of, to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians. And I started that with just, we looked at the first four chapters in a series in September and October titled, Seeing All of Life Through the Gospel. And that could even be a title for the whole book, but that was the title of that series. And so we did some other things in October and December. We're picking up part two this morning, so some of you uh, are walking into part two in a series titled The Gospel and Relationships. We'll just cover three chapters in this series, chapters five, six, and seven. Let me say this by way of introduction. The series was originally titled, you know, pastors change their titles too, you know, uh, Sex and relationships. And the reason it was titled that, as you'll see as we go through this, is in these three chapters, there's a lot of discussion about sex, you know, in different, for different reasons, different contexts. So that's what's being talked about. So with that said, okay, um, I want to hope you'll extend me some grace. You know, uh, I possibly may say something stupid, hopefully not, or something maybe offends somebody. It's not my desire. I will do my best not to do that. But I would say this. As I, uh, I don't think, first of all, I've ever, I've ever anyway, uh, preached on these texts before. Pretty confident in, in my ministry. I've never done it. Um, but as the more I studied them in preparation for the series, the more... I came to believe that I'm not so sure, kind of the reason we thought, I thought about doing this back in the summer, um, that there's a more relevant set of texts and perhaps more applicable to the times in which we live. So with that said, if you have a copy of the Bible, we're going to look at some verses in 1 Corinthians where we left off last October, chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, in a message titled a holy community, a holy community, which is a way of talking about the church as a called out community. Uh, that's what the church is in the scriptures, and that would include this one as well. First Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, follow along as I read these words, the Apostle Paul speaking to this congregation. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that not even pagans, or a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out from your fellowship the man who's been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present with you, I am with you in spirit. Paul sends this by a, you know, a, a courier. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the one who is doing this. So when you are assembled, next Sunday kind of thing, and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast 
so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ our Passover, lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Happy New Year, you know, okay. <laughs> a holy community, okay, a holy community. That's the way God understands, sees, um, created the church to be, what do I mean holy? It means called out for a specific purpose, okay, a holy community. Okay, three things in this passage hopefully will speak uh, to us as well as a holy community. Number one, a holy community takes sin seriously. Okay? A holy community takes sin seriously. Now, this is kind of strange. Let's all admit that. Paul is opening up. And I don't know that he does this too much in their text. He's writing to, he writes to a lot of churches, but he doesn't really get this specific. He's talking about theological problems, sometimes behavior problems, sometimes trying to deepen their understanding of theological truth. But in this case, he gets very, very, Mr. and, he doesn't say the name. That's about the only thing he doesn't do. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, in this case, John Doe, in your congregation, has done this thing, sleeping with his father's wife. It's very unusual. But here's the larger point I want us to, to, to appreciate before we get too far into this. Although this is strange, it's unusual, it's very specific, okay? He calls it sexual immorality. His primary concern, as we just read these verses, is not this particular sin, however strange and uh, uh, egregious it may be. His primary concern is the lack of response, an appropriate response, by the leaders of this congregation and or by this congregation itself, right? He gets, verse 1 is just, is the problem or the instant. There's, there's something going on here that I've heard about through a, 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 an intermediary that some guy is sleeping with his father's wife. Now let's get to the point. Verse 2, and you are proud about it. That's his problem. He's talking, his letter is not written to this guy, it's written to this congregation or the leaders of this congregation. And you are proud. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. I hope you read that and ask yourself your question. What in God's name is he talking about? How is it possible that on this subject, this, if Paul's making sense and he's, he's connecting these things together, they have someone in their congregation. Maybe it's a small world. Maybe it's a, it acts like a small community. You know, they say, you know, a, 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 it's a grapevine kind of thing. Somehow Paul doesn't even live in this town. And he's gotten the word. So maybe the community knows about this one specific situation. That's what he's talking about. It's been reported, he doesn't say just to me, that this thing has happened. And you're proud about it. You Shouldn't you be mourning? Shouldn't you have done something about this? Not only are you proud, how is that possible? You're boasting about it. Now, we don't know all the reasons, but if you read the whole letter, as you think deeply about the gospel, which is what my, is the underlying reality being talked about in this whole book, we might say the meaning is this. Why could, how could they possibly think this is something to boast about? I think it goes like this. Forgiveness runs so deep that how one lives their life, lives doesn't matter. Say, it's kind of like, well, listen, 
Jesus Christ has touched our lives. We have experienced the gospel. All of our sin has been forgiven. And this is true, by the way. If you're a Christian here today, I'm a Christian here today. When, Jesus, when I put my simple faith and trust in Jesus, I didn't know all this many, many years ago. I couldn't have explained it all many, many years ago. I can't explain it today perfectly. That Jesus Christ, in the, in the cross, Jesus forgave me not only for the sins I had committed up to that point, for the sins I might have committed that day, and all the sins I've committed that I haven't even committed yet. All those sins have been covered by the, by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the resurrection. So there's a sense in which that's true. So these guys are saying to themselves, these ladies are themselves saying to themselves, this forgiveness runs so deep, it's so amazing, it's so graceful, it's so wildly beautiful and free that how one lives their life doesn't matter anymore and therefore we are proud and therefore we are boasting. But I would say this to you guys, hopefully you know this. It's a grave misunderstanding of the gospel. Right? It's true that Jesus Christ in the cross, if you're a Christian, has forgiven you of all your sin, even the ones you have not committed. However, the gospel is also designed to set you free from the power of sin that is in your life today and for the rest of your life. And that happens over time. It's the process of discipleship. Which John, it's what John and Pete were just talking about here a few minutes ago. It's possible to receive the forgiveness of sins in a moment of faith. But the transformation and the life change that the Bible speaks about, that I desire, that you desire, only comes with a level of commitment, only comes with a level of discipline. And when you and I don't pursue it, when we as a congregation don't pursue it, rooted in the gospel, okay, we lose the effectiveness of, of our faith, we'll lose the effective of, of our witness, not only individually, but collectively as a church. That's what Paul is talking about. To quote Jesus, right, before any of these letters were even written. Jesus says it very, very simply, but very, very directly to his disciples who were the church in, in, you know, in its earliest form. What is this thing I've come to do? He says, you will be, you are the salt of the earth. Very simple metaphor, but it's teaching a very important point. The church of Jesus Christ is the salt of the earth. In other words, I'm bringing the church into the world. I'm bringing it into the world. I'm birthing it through the death, death, and resurrection. Going to expand it through the apostles. But the purpose is to be the salt of the earth to preserve the earth, to do what salt does in meat, in a manner of speaking, to bring the truth, to sharpen people, to wake them up, to season them with truth. You are the salt of the earth. But here's the warning in the original you know, mission passage of Jesus. If the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. But to be thrown out and trampled on the feet of men, that's what Paul's talking about here. Okay? A church, a holy community takes sin seriously. Do I, do you, do we as a congregation? I was at a, a wake um, within the last 10 days. Cl- childhood friend. We, we, I've known each other since we were next door neighbors or one house over. And his mother passed away. And we're there talking. At the end, we're just talking, me and him, maybe a couple other guys. And I said, well, where's the service? He goes, it's going to be at such and such a Catholic church where we grew up literally at the end of our street, where we both went to parochial school through the eighth grade together. And I said, oh, wow, I hadn't been there for a long, long time. And he said, but you know, it's really sad because he lives out of state now. He goes, when I come, I've come lately, you know, over the years, and I always bring my mother to that church. And he said, there's nobody there. 
It's just, it's just a few old people uh, like my mother. It's nothing like it was when we were there. And then another guy that was in the conversation, he said, oh, because of what happened, maybe it's overstated, but he goes, nobody goes to the Catholic Church anymore. Well, what is it that happened? Well, we, we, I think we all know that, right? You know, um, popularized by the Boston Globe in 2002, this great, uh, uh, you know, a sex scandal in the Catholic Church, which after 2002 didn't even, did not only spread across uh, uh, the continent of the, uh, the North American continent, but it's been a global crisis around the world. And I knew what he was talking about. Now, what he didn't say, maybe he didn't know this, is the Catholic Church isn't the only problem, right? In, in, in 2018, the Houston Chronicle did the same thing. The largest Protestant denomination in America, 47,000 congregations, the Southern Baptist Convention, um, they're having the same kind of a problem. Paul's concern, does Paul, have, does, does Paul think sexual morality is, is, is a sin? Of course. Does he have a point of view on this guy who's sleeping with his father's wife? He does, but that's not the primary concern. Are you a holy community? And when you have a cavalier attitude towards sin, you're not going to be a holy community. You know what's interesting about this passage? So much I could say. Why would Paul say this, even in the way he says it? It's been reported among you that there is a man who is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, he didn't, Paul doesn't just pull that out of thin air. That is actually part of the old covenant. In other words, there's a law. Note takers, Deuteronomy 27, Leviticus 18. It's a law that some people would know about that way back there, a thousand years earlier or more under Moses in the old covenant says all these odd laws about sex or about life or about foods and amongst all these laws in what they call the, Mose- the, the, the book of the covenant, there's one that says a man shall not sleep with his father's wife. Let me tell you what it meant in the book of Deuteronomy. It meant this. It was a a, um, a culture of polygamy back in the Old Testament. We know Abraham had multiple wives. So did David. Okay, it's a different culture. And what happened in those days was a man would have not only one wife, he'd have two, he might have three. And as he went down to wife number two and wife number three, typically those wives were younger, right? And when a guy all of a sudden dies, which is probably what Deuteronomy was talking about, probably what's saying here, well, dad dies, well, his wife who I actually went to high school with, maybe others, she's closer to my age, but guess what? She doesn't get the money in that culture. The money goes to the oldest son. So in some cases, back then and even here, these guys would say, well, hey, you know, she's living in the house. I like her. I'll be with her. That's what he's talking about here. Not, it's certainly proscribed in the Old Testament, but my point is this. There are other things concerning sexual immorality, Paul's words, not mine, that happen a whole lot more in the Bible than this one oddball kind of prescribed thing, a man sleeping with his father's widow. For instance, this will be more next week's sermon, if you come back, okay, which is um, casual sex outside of marriage. You say, that's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. Or same-sex relationships, even if I take those two issues right there. Those two things, casual sex, there's even terms for it, non-relational sex. Let me talk about hookup culture. Casual sex or same-sex relationships. The Bible talks a lot about both of those, okay? The Bible talks a lot about both of those. Those two things and other things are part, in our day, they're part of accepted culture. They're as common as, you know, uh, for this reason a man should leave his father and his mother, you know. Uh, it's, it's very, very common in our culture. Now, that said... Right? I've offended some of you, but hang on. I'll offend the rest of you in a minute. Okay. (laughs) 
That's not Paul's point. This sermon, this passage, although he talks specifically about sexual immorality, it's almost his fourth or fifth word. He talks about this oddball, not oddball, very strange thing about this guy sleeping with his father's wife. That sexual immorality is not the point here, but he uses it, this one very real situation, to raise a larger question to this congregation to say, who are you? That's what he wants to say. You are, are you not proud? You're boasting about this? Do you even understand what the church of Jesus Christ is? He wants to ask them a larger question and I'm trying to do what pastors are supposed to do anyway. I want to take that and ask a larger question to us. Okay? And this is the question that I think I can ground in this text. Paul wants to say to them, who are you as a church that you can have this kind of cavalier attitude about this situation? I want to ask this question to us. Does the church, including this one, okay, in its desire to accomplish its mission, hasn't changed in 2,000 years, to reach people with the message of God's grace, need to become more like the culture, right, so that we can get people in here, or are we called to be true to God's ways no matter what new ways the culture adopts or how the culture may redefine life, marriage, and on and on and on. That's the question we need to answer. And I would say this to you, friends. I love this full room. I love my job. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but if we don't get this right, this church and churches like it will become irrelevant in a half a generation. Amen. You might not think that, but it's true. Does this church... Do this, do we need to become more like the culture? Some people don't say that with a, you know, in a malicious way. This is accepted. That, listen, if we don't do this, I've heard people say people I greatly respect, going back five or seven years, which I think the issue was gay marriage, and the guy said, we just got to realize, great pastors, the train has left the station. We have to get on board. I'm just saying. Do we... Do you have to become more like the culture or are we called to be true to God's ways no matter what? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 speaks to the same issue. Listen carefully to these words. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. He's speaking, think about these words, a holy nation, God's special. He's layering on these words that all come out of the Old Testament. It's almost like saying to some poor, poor, poor people, you are rich. You have, you, you, you have, you're, 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 you, you have no idea how special you are. You're, you're going to live in a big house. You're going to drive a big car. He's saying these, he's applying these very rich metaphors from the Old Testament to a bunch of pagans who just became Christians to make a point. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'm declaring you God's special possession. That, for a purpose, purpose, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, out of darkness, a holy community, into his wonderful light. Let me say it a different way. If you didn't get it the first time. Once you were not a people, once you were not a people. He doesn't mean they weren't people. He's just saying you weren't called out. You didn't have all these special uh, statuses. But now you are ipso facto because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, this is how you get become a Christian, but now you have received mercy. A holy church takes 
sin seriously. Do you? Do I? Do we? Point two. A holy community depends on the spiritual power of Jesus. Right? So when you are assembled and I am with you in the spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, do this and that. The Apostle Paul writes these words and gives this strong advice, right? I mean, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. What the heck does that mean? He, gives, he says these words and gives this strong advice. Why does he do that? Because he believes that the local church lives and moves in a world where the power of the Spirit is a daily reality. That's why he does it. And let me just clear up some confusion. Give this man over to the power of Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's Paul being, being, being a good writer, being a clever, making a point. He's not talking about some crazy you know, Hollywood movie and the destroying Satan. He's saying, listen, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says Satan is the God of this world. Some of us don't get that or don't know. He's the God of this world. And he's saying the church is a holy community. And for this purpose of this guy, we want to put this guy over here. It's like saying to your kid, this is understated. You're not going on vacation because of what you did. You, I'm taking away some of your privileges. Put this guy out back outside of the holy community under the realm of Satan maybe to teach him a lesson. But you know what you find out in 2 Corinthians chapter 2? No takers. It works. The guy snaps out of it, repents of his sin, and he comes back in. The purpose is redemptive. The purpose is redemptive. Paul's saying, listen, you can do this. You don't have to accommodate sin. You can deal with it because he believes that the church lives and moves in a world where the spirit is a daily reality. To do something in the name of, verse 3, I've already passed my judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus, means to act with a person's authority. When it says, I'm, you know, if you're an ambassador, an authority. If you're a delegate, that's someone acting with someone else's authority. Power of eternity. Listen, power of attorney. As Christians, that's what Paul's saying, we are called to act in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as a way of doing life. That's what he's saying. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Do I act in the name of the Lord Jesus? Do I live with the power of the Lord Jesus present? If I did, maybe I'd, I'd take the words of Jesus more seriously for my own life, right? The, you know, the, the most important um, topic, I'm sorry, passage of Scripture in what we call church discipline Okay, some of you know it, some of you don't. If you're a note taker, Matthew chapter 18. This is the words of Jesus before there ever even was a New Testament church, but he's preparing them for it. And Jesus says, listen, let me tell you how to solve problems. And Jesus is talking about sin problems. Sex isn't even on the list. Jesus doesn't even bring up the list. He says, listen, here's how you solve the problem. You got a problem? George and I got a problem. I got a problem with George. He said, listen, go to that person individually, privately. Don't tell his wife, don't tell his family, don't tell the congregation. Keep it private. Talk to him. I got an issue with you, my brother. I love you. Humbly, I come to you in love and ask you, and I want to talk to you about it. If he says it's none of your business, come back with another friend and do it privately. Now it's two people together. If he says, mind your own business, then 
do what Paul's telling this congregation to do, to bring in the church. But let me tell you the promise that's at the heart of it. Matthew chapter 18, listen very carefully. This is what Paul's enacting here when he talks about the power of the Lord Jesus. Again, truly I tell you that if that two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it's in the context of discipline, Matthew 18, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with you. And he says in the verse before that, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Wow, whatever you loose on earth, forgive sins maybe, forgive somebody, will be loosed in heaven. It's just fancy Bible way of saying, listen, you have the authority of God, the power of God, the Lord Jesus, in your hand, in your heart, in your community. Are you acting with it? Okay, that's what he's trying to say. A holy community depends, do we depend, on the spirit of the Lord Jesus? Why is that important? Because if we took the promise more seriously and we lived our lives and communities around it, we might be less tempted to drop our convictions to accommodate the redefinitions and the ways of the world. My small group, a couple weeks ago, got together and instead of having our normal meeting, we had a friend who had some, uh, some serious health issues. And we said, oh, we're just going to pray. Ask, would you like to pray? We'll pray for you. That's all we did. 60 minutes of meeting was over. Uh, a couple weeks goes by, which was a week ago or so. And this person is not completely healed, but actually doing, I would say, remarkably better. I'm choosing to believe, it doesn't always happen, it's not, it's not a formula, but I'm choosing to believe it's because we got together and took this seriously. When you get together and the presence of the Lord Jesus is with you, you need to say, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with you. And I'm saying to you, friends, that you and I are challenged more and more every day to, to adopt things in the culture. We're not malicious about it, or pastors like me, we're not malicious about it. We're just saying, gee, we want to reach people. And, and, and if we don't change the what we believe, if we don't change our points of view, then people aren't going to come. But what we don't realize is when we do that, guess what happens? The power of God goes out the back door. That's what Paul's trying to say. A holy community takes sin seriously. A holy community depends on the spiritual power of Jesus. Now, for those of you I offended in point one, then didn't, those of you who liked point one, you're not going to like point three, okay? A holy community exists to reach an unbelieving world. Listen very carefully to how he ends this. Verse nine. I wrote to you in my letter, it's a letter we don't have, but there was a correspondence back and forth with this congregation. A lot of what we'll see in this book is Paul says, you said because he's responding to something they said to him in a letter, and he's answering it. And he also wrote a letter to them that history does not um, have. I wrote a letter to my letter to you not to associate with sexually immoral people. Last year, that's what I told you. Not at all meaning, they got the wrong idea. The people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters, in that case, you would have had to leave the world. This is what they thought. Oh, we can't, so Paul's telling us not to hang out with sexually immoral people. Well, Wegmans is off the list. <laughs> I mean, the, the bar's off the list. School system's off the list. Uh, I mean, where can we go? You know what I mean? That, that's what they were thinking. 
But now I am writing to you, correct the mistake that you, you're misunderstanding, you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or slander or a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. See, the, what I was trying to t- talk to you about was not your relationship with the outside world. I was trying to talk to you about your relationship with other believers because you're a holy community. Unless you're different, unless you're distinct, unless you're a countercultural kind of prophetic community, what good are you? That's what he was saying. Now watch this, verse 12. What business, of it is, what business is it of mine to judge those who are outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Well, you guys got it all wrong. God will judge those outside. Now expel that wicked person from among you. This is a sermon all of its own, okay? It's one for all churches, but ours too. And I would say this, if we need to hear it desperately, and if we don't hear it, and better live it out, this church and churches like it will be irrelevant, irrelevant in a a, a very short period of time. Back to my buddy's conversation. We, it is not our business to judge the larger culture. Should I vote my conscience? Should I have a point of view about elections? Should I have a point of view about what's going on in the schools? If you want to change your kid from school A to school B, do it. But the business of the church, listen, the world is a sinking pit. Have you read how this thing ends? It's going to end with fervent heat and this whole thing's going to burn up. God's, God's sent his son on a rescue mission to save people. And that's the church's business. What business of it is mine to judge those on the outside? It's not my business. Why does the church do that? Let me tell you why the church does that. Because it's a lot, I'm talking about any church. But could we, we could be talking about the, the popular evangelical culture or, or, or not. But let me tell you why it happens. Why do we spend so much time? We should have a point of view about culture, but why do we spend so much time cursing the darkness about what's happening, whether it's in Washington or the school system or the morals going down the tubes, which they are. But why do we spend so much time cursing the darkness out there? Because it's easier to curse the darkness out there than to deal with the darkness that's in here or to deal with the darkness that's in here. But the more that we do that, let me tell you something, our witness becomes more and more effective. The more we curse the darkness out there and don't pay attention to the darkness in here, the more we become salt that has lost its saltiness. And it's good, Jesus' words, not mine, good for nothing. Okay, good for nothing. The church needs to claim its identity as a people with a distinct character and mission. Listen, it's supposed to be, this is not new news, it's very old news, a counter-cultural prophetic community that's supposed to look different than the culture, okay? But let me say this, it's not different for difference sake. They go left, we go right. It's not different for difference sake. It's offering the culture a better way to be husband and wife, God's way, a better way to raise children, a better way to engage civilly, uh, the community, a better way to exercise compassion and care right on down the line. That's the point 
a holy community exists to reach an unbelieving world, you can't do it unless you differentiate yourself. You do it by saying yes to God and don't allow the culture to redefine what's true and right. And let me tell you something, it's getting harder and harder every single day. There are some people in this room, we're probably under 25, and I, I could talk about X issue or Y issue. You, you, heart, you can't even imagine that that's even wrong because everyone out there from the school system to the principal to the president of the United States tells you it's right. What are you gonna do, Christian? What are we gonna do? It's not, we don't need to curse the darkness. We can say what we, we believe, but we need to do everything we can to allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform our hearts more and more and more. And by the way that we live and the way that we love, we show the world a better way. That's what we're supposed to do. Last story. Take this together. I'm at this same wake, okay? 10 days ago, whatever it is. I see a guy at this wake who I went to high school with, like my buddy, but I, this guy, I've probably seen him twice in since I graduated from high school, 17, 18 years, whatever it's been. Okay, what, okay. Twice I've seen him. Now, let me say something about this guy. I've seen twice since I graduated from high school. He's lived a hard life. Been through a couple marriages. Um, had some issues and problems. Probably was, you know, coded out a time or two, but he's doing better. But his life reveals this by looking at him. We got talking. It's great to see him. He's doing better. He's doing well. But after we got talking, he, he brought up me. He just knew my story. And he said, hey, you know, pastor, et cetera. And I said, yeah, you know, Browncroft. And he said, put a smile on his face. And he goes, you know, I haven't talked to this guy for years. He said, thanks for what you're doing. We're all proud of you. Thanks for representing us. Isn't that sweet? Like you're, our, you're our little ambassador from good old Ironico at High School. Thanks for representing us. And he meant that very sincerely. And I, I was, for, for 15 seconds, I just was basked in that. It was so beautiful. But then I said, I kind of snapped out of it, and I said, well, thank you for saying that. But in so many words, I said, I want you to know, I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like you. I am what I am by the grace of God. And these weren't my exact words, but Jesus Christ kissed me awake uh, not long after we last saw each other. And, and, and that's, that's the end of the story. And I said, you know, maybe you should, you know, when I smile on my face, why don't you come and visit sometime? And he said, with the straightest look on his face, he said, really? He said, would I be welcome? Okay, wow. Why would you say that? Would I, well, let me tell you, one of two reasons. Either one, maybe a guy like him would say, why would I want to go to a place that's so screwed up Boston Globe, 2002, the Houston Chronicle, <laughs> 2018, or Christian people are people who got their act together. Christian people are people who've made all the right decisions in life. Christian people are people who've, who've been walking up this ladder for the last 20 years, and I've been walking in the other direction. Would I be welcome? Absolutely, you'd be welcome. This is what Paul's talking about, a holy community. What business is it of ours to judge those outside. It's not our business. Sure, do it over a, a coffee or a glass of wine with your friends, and that's all good and well, but it's not the business of the church. We're to judge ourselves, right? Take the log out of your own eye, <laughs> Jesus would say. And let's make that our business. 
Let's get serious about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's humbly see if God can change us more and more so that we'll become attractive to the community. Amen? Okay, this is what we're going to do. If you're a Christian here today, this is for us. Why does God have this ordinance called an ordinance? It's been going on since um, the church began, started at the Last Supper. Why did Jesus, before the church even see God's thinking ahead, why did he say to his disciples, listen, I'm going to give you this um, you, don't, you may not know it, but what we're going to do together here, friends, is going to become a staple uh, for the church of Jesus Christ for all time. Just this simple little bread in, in cup, it's called communion of the Lord's table. And the reason I want you to do it, there's not any magic here, because I want congregations like the ones that will be going on in the future, like this one, to be reminded of what the whole thing is all about. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am because Jesus Christ, in a manner of speaking, came down as a rescue mission, came down to me while we were yet sinners, which is a Bible's way of saying we wanted nothing to do with God, right? While we were were as far away from God as he possibly could, he kissed me awake by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. It's reminding ourselves the only reason I'm standing here as a blood-bought, as the Bible's words, a forgiven sinner of Jesus is only one reason and one reason only, because Jesus Christ kissed me away, because I said, I, I said yes to the offer of God's grace and forgiveness. That's the only reason. There's no difference between me and my body except that. And the more that you and I not only affirm that, but realize the change that I long for Right? That in my heart, in my mind, in my relationships, it comes from here. A deeper appreciation, a deeper love relationship with God's forgiveness. So this is what I want us to do as we, as we get ready to take this. I want you to think about this, these words. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Aren't you to judge those inside? Listen, it starts right here. Right? This is what this is about. Forget about what's happening or not happening on your street or in the, on the front pages of the paper. Where does God need to do a work in you? Maybe, you're, maybe my sin's not one of the six on this list. He actually named six things in verse 11. And let me say this. Maybe this is for next week. Um, is God really, is God really have all this concern about sex? Is God really kind of a, I don't know, anti-sex? No, not at all. In fact, very the opposite. The reason they talk so much about sex here is because this culture was fascinated by it. This culture was, was, was immersed in all kinds of sexual behaviors and dysfunctions. That's why Paul's talking about it. It's not on God's top 10 list at all. In fact, the number two sin mentioned here in verse 11 was greed. Maybe the church of Jesus Christ, in a popular way, is focused more on sexual uh, sins because we don't want to talk about the other one. Right? Who wants to talk about greed and materialism? Okay? So it's, that's not why. But what I'm saying to you is, guys, whatever is your issue, wherever you need to judge yourself, whatever sin you might be hiding behind or holding on to, pride, bitterness, maybe it is a sexual sin. It doesn't matter. In other words, bring it to the cross. Because as you and I experience a deeper forgiveness, a deeper humility, a deeper grace, then we individually and collectively become more attractive to the world around us. Make sense? Amen.
on the day he was arrested and Jesus sat with his disciples in the Last Supper and he took the bread, Passover meal, which is mentioned here, right? Jesus is our Passover. And he said, I'm going to give this new meaning. He broke the bread and he passed it to his disciples and said, let me start with the end in mind. It's the gospel. This bread represents my body, which tomorrow will be sacrificed for you. Broken bread. Let's eat together. When supper was ended, he took the cup and he um, passed it and said, similarly, this cup, wine, used for the Passover meal, this represents my shed blood, the new covenant which will be cut, which will be a reality tomorrow when I die on the cross. I'm dying for you. Amen? Let's drink together. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we just come to you in these moments as we do what you told us to do, encouraged us to do, challenged us to do, to, re, to, bring, to bring things back to the gospel, to come back to um, home base, and to reorient our lives once again to the, the love and grace and forgiveness which not only makes us a Christian, but helps us to experience maturity in the Christian life. Lord, call us back, draw us back, hear our confessions, hear our prayers. Lord, that we might experience a deeper experience of your forgiveness, a deeper experience of your love and grace, that we might become more genuinely, more like uh, Christ. That as a community, we might become a holy community, Lord, humbly changed more by Jesus that would be a light uh, on a hill in a world that's losing its way. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.